I thank the RFPA for asking me to speak tonight and consider it an honor to do so. I'm thankful for the RFPA and its work, and I say that personally. I reiterate the comments of a speaker a few years ago who spoke about how he personally profited from the books produced by the RFPA. That is the case with me. A time in my life when I was growing in my knowledge of the Reformed faith, the Books produced by the RFPA were instrumental in being a means of increasing my knowledge and love for our precious Reformed heritage. The topic I've been asked to speak on tonight is a particular aspect of that calling to instruct our covenant children that we heard about in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it's the particular aspect of that covenant instruction, which is reading. Reading to our children and training our children in reading. Now this topic of reading is one that is familiar to those of us who have attended the annual meetings of the RFPA. According to my reckoning, over the past six years, at least three of the speeches that have been given have directly addressed the topic of reading. Back in 2013, Professor Heisinger addressed us about the necessity of reading and encouraging the younger generation to read. In 2014, Reverend Spronk spoke about the importance of reading church history. In 2015, Reverend Smith addressed us about the powerful, supportive role of Reformed literature on the mission field. And this highlights for us that the reading of good Reformed literature is necessary and something that we see as very important for the spiritual well-being of our homes and our churches. And it also highlights the concern that is shared by members of the RFPA and in our churches that there is a general slump in the reading that is done in our day. And so another speech on the topic of reading is in order. And this is not simply revisiting a worn-out topic for the circumstances of our day require this topic to be addressed often. But tonight we have an opportunity to approach the topic of reading from a unique angle, And that opportunity is brought to us by the new children's book division that the RFPA is developing. And this is something I am excited about, and I trust that you too are excited about it. It is a continuation and expansion of the RFPA's mission to bring good, sound, reformed literature to God's people. And it is an expansion of that mission now to bring that kind of literature to the children and young people of the church. We ought to encourage the RFPA in this work. It's exciting. And as more excellent children's books are produced, the RFPA is rendering a service to our churches. These are resources for us as parents and grandparents for that diligent teaching of our children in the ways of God's covenant and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so let's be excited about the children's book division. Let us us use these resources and let us, for a short while tonight, think about the calling that comes to us to instruct our children to read, to read to them and to train them to read. My speech will have three parts tonight. Under the theme, Training Our Children in the Discipline of Reading, the first part of the speech, I want to set forth the importance of training our children to read. In the second part, I want to lay out some practical suggestions as to how we can train our our children to read. And finally, I want to talk about some of the challenges that we face in training our children to read. So I want to begin tonight by pointing out the importance of this aspect of covenant instruction. And I want to begin by laying out the theological foundation for everything that I'm going to say in this speech. And the theological foundation is the rich, reformed doctrine of the word of God. That 
is why we read to our children. Because we are a people of the word of God. And because God has revealed himself in a written word, we are a people who put a high premium on reading. And so my purpose now, in this first part of the speech, is to demonstrate that importance of training our children to read based on the doctrine of the word. The argument will have three points that build on each other. First, God is a God of the word, and he reveals himself through the word. Secondly, his word is the means that he uses to save his people and to nurture their faith. And finally, God gives his word as the means for covenant parents to use in the instruction of their children. And we will build then to the conclusion of that argument the importance and indeed necessity of reading good literature and teaching our children to read. It's all based on God's word. Our God is a God of the word. He's a God who speaks. He's a God who speaks and reveals himself, and he reveals himself in the written word. This is the bedrock truth upon which we base the importance of reading. God's word. What is God's word? So much could be said here. God's word is his creative reality determining power. We see that in the very opening chapter of the Bible. What is the very first work that our God performs outside of himself? He speaks the word. And that word is the almighty creative power that brings the universe into existence. Psalm 33, verse 6. By the word of Of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. God speaks, and what he speaks determines reality. His word quickens the dead and calls those things which be not as though they were. Reality determining power. But God's word is also his saving self-revelation to his elect people. The word is not only reality-determining power, but the means that God uses to show himself and to impart saving knowledge of himself to his elect people. Through the word, we know God, whom to know is life eternal. And ultimately, the word that our God speaks is not a thing, but a person, the eternal word, our Lord Jesus Christ. For Jesus Christ is the fullness of God's saving revelation. He is the express image of his person. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the eternal word made flesh who came and dwelt among us. The fullness of the Godhead who dwells with us bodily. And the Lord Jesus Christ then, in all of his fullness... God has ordained to be revealed to us in the written word, the Holy Scriptures. From a special care for us and for our salvation and for our children's salvation, he has committed his almighty self-revealing word to writing and given it to us to be preached, to be read, to be hidden in our hearts, to be the reality-determining power in our lives. God's word. The written word, inspired, perfect, inerrant, is the treasury of all saving knowledge, sufficient for all things pertaining to faith and life. And at the center of it is the center of God's counsel, our Lord Jesus Christ, his person and his saving work. He is the content of that written word. Our God is the God of the word who reveals himself in the word Jesus Christ, who reveals Jesus Christ in the written word, the scriptures. That's the theological foundation. Now let's build on it a little further. Second place, God uses this word as the means by which he saves his elect people and nurtures their faith in Jesus Christ. After all, it is his reality determining power, his self-revelation. By his word, by the agency of his spirit, He uses that word to impart to his people saving knowledge of God. He uses his word by the power of the Spirit as a reality-determining power 
to call his people out of darkness into his marvelous light, saving revelation power, worked by this written word. Now we understand, of course, that God begins his work of salvation without the use of means. We understand that clearly, that salvation begins with immediate regeneration. The Holy Spirit imparts the new resurrection life of Christ to us, spiritually raises us from the dead, infuses the faculty of faith, unites us to the Lord Jesus Christ. But after the Holy Spirit has begun the work of salvation immediately in that way, thereafter he employs his choice means of the word of God. It is through the word preached that Christ calls by his spirit to the elect and brings them to conscious faith so that they know and trust and embrace Jesus Christ, appropriate all of his benefits. The word is the means of salvation. That's why Paul in Romans 1 verse 16 declares that he's ready to preach the gospel in Rome and he's not ashamed of this gospel because this gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. This establishes then the absolute importance of the written word in your life, in my life, in the life of our children. God's word is the means of grace. The word preached, the word visible, that is the sacraments, the written word as it is read and studied and understood through the work of the Spirit in our hearts. The word is the means of grace, the means of faith, the means of growth and maturing in the Christian life, the means by which we are conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. And thus the believer builds his life on this word. This word is the center of his home. This word is what is most important to him. It is his treasure. He listens to the preaching. He reads the Bible devoutly with understanding. He reads it to his children. As Deuteronomy 6 speaks about teaching them diligently out of this word. When he sits in his home, when he walks by the way, when he lies down, when he rises up, he teaches this word. This written word is the most important thing in our lives. It must be read. That leads us to the third part of this argument laying down the foundations for the calling to teach our children to read. This creative power of God, this self-revelation of God in the written word, this means of salvation, God gives that to covenant parents in the Holy Scriptures as the means by which we teach, train, and raise our children. The Word of God is our tool. It's the content of our covenant instruction, and it is the tool by which we bring that covenant instruction. God gives believing parents an awesome calling and responsibility to bring up their children in the knowledge of Him and in the ways of His covenant. God calls parents to bring up His children They are his, as many of them are as are his elect. They are his. And the calling of covenant parents is to raise his children for him. We raise our children for their heavenly father. They're not ours. They're his. They are God's. We rear them then as God commands unto him using his word, covenant instruction. The point is, this powerful, reality-determining, Christ-revealing, salvation-working Word of God must be brought to bear on every aspect of our children's lives from their earliest of days till they leave our home and even after, as we live in that parent-child relationship, as long as the Lord gives us to pilgrimage in this, path, in this world, we bring the Word 
to our children. But now we come to the heart of the matter. Given the absolute importance of the word of God, we must see it as an essential part of covenant instruction that we train our children in the spiritual discipline of reading this word and reading other good books that help us grow in our understanding and appreciation of this word. Reading is an important spiritual discipline, a spiritual life skill, we might say, that is needed for a healthy spiritual life and for continued growth and maturing as a member of the body of Christ. And is that not our calling as parents? To bring our children to maturity. An illustration may help. We not only teach our children facts, but we train our children in skills in in all different parts of life. A father who wants his son to maintain the car that he just bought on his 16th birthday doesn't just teach him what an engine is and what the purpose of oil is. He teaches his son to change the oil of his car, to check the tire pressure. He imparts to him those skills necessary to maintain that vehicle. The same is true of parenting our children with regard to their spiritual lives. We not only teach them the facts of the Bible, the content, as absolutely important as that is. They must have knowledge. But we also seek to impart to them those necessary spiritual life skills so that as they grow up and leave our homes, they continue learning and growing and developing in their faith. We not only want to fill their minds with the word, we do. We want to fill their hearts and impart to them the disciplines necessary for a lifelong study and devotion to the word of God. Because the word is so important, there's nothing more important than there's nothing better that I can give my children than the skills, the discipline they need to be a man or a woman of the word of God. There's the importance of training our children to read. It's rooted in the doctrine of the word of God that we hold such as such a precious part of our Reformed heritage. Train your children to read. Having laid that theological foundation, I want to move now to the more practical section of the speech and lay out some practical suggestions as to how we train our children in this discipline of reading. Reading the Word of God, but also reading good spiritually edifying literature that expands and enriches our understanding of the Word of God. Training our children to read is not a complicated thing. Though we may do it in different ways, though we have different life circumstances, and though our children have different natures and different gifts and different temperaments, all things which must be taken into account, yet nevertheless, it's not a complicated thing to train your children to read. In the second part of the speech, I want to lay out three practical steps that can be taken to train our children in the discipline of reading. The first and foundational, is perhaps the simplest. Read to your children. Read to them, especially your young children, but also your elementary-age children. As they develop a, a love for reading, continue reading to them. Consider it something that is a joy to do. Read to them as much as you can. Read to your children. If you want your children... To grow up to be readers, 
readers of their Bibles especially, but also readers of good literature. It starts in the home. This is where it starts. In your lap, in the comfortable chair, in your living room, when you take your little son or your little daughter and you open up a little child's book, such as the excellent books the RFPA are producing now, and you read, you read to them. It is well documented that one of the most beneficial things a parent can do for the development and maturing of a child is to consistently read to that child. That is why, for example, the American Society of Pediatrics strongly recommends parents read daily to their children, beginning as early as six months in age. Reading to your children, says the research, says the science, stimulates brain development. It stimulates the acquisition of language skills. Reading to young children stimulates the parts of the brain connected with understanding and comprehending the written and spoken word. It enhances concentration. It develops thinking skills, the ability to process concepts. And we could go on and on, according to the research. Overall, It enhances the ability to use and to understand words. That's the universal testimony of the science and the research about the benefits of reading to our children. Now, I'm not here to persuade you using science. The world might look at science as an oracle of God. That's not our perspective, though that research can be very useful. I want to persuade you from the spiritual perspective. We want our children as much as possible to be equipped to read the true oracles of God. And if reading to our children is a means that we can use to help them develop the capacity to better understand the written and spoken word, We see the connection, do we not? Reading to our children is a powerful way of training them and equipping them for a lifelong reading of the Bible. The spiritual is most important. That is what we are concerned about. Reading to your children imparts, or at least helps, advance them in one of the most fundamental disciplines of the Christian life. Reading, understanding, interpreting, applying the scriptures. And not only that, it helps them grow to have an appreciation, a taste for, a love for, an interest in other good, sound books that expand the mind and enrich the soul. Read to your children. Seek in this way to cultivate a lifelong love for reading in your children. It starts in the home. Now, how and, how and when do we do this? A couple of things can be said here. In the first place, family worship. Family worship is a treasured Reformed practice that we must strive to maintain even in our day when it is under attack because we are so busy and there are so many other things that keep us apart as families. The passage that we read in Deuteronomy 6 emphasizes the importance of family instruction, but also there's a worship dimension there of worship together. What do we do at family worship? A passage is read with understanding. A few moments are taken to reflect on the meaning of that word and to apply it to the lives of the members of the family. Prayer is offered. The family comes together to speak with and commune with their covenant God. Family worship is one of the most precious and profitable practices that we have as families. It is the best of family time. It's also a wonderful opportunity to read to our children, and to instruct them out of the word of God. Take advantage of family worship. 
We all know how easily it slips. I dare say every one of us can relate to family worship where we open the Bible to where the ribbon marker is. We read that passage to its end. We close the Bible and we pray. And very little has sunk in. Every time you gather around the table, you open the scriptures, you have an opportunity to teach and instruct and train your children in the word of God. Take advantage of it. But family worship isn't the only time that we should read to our children. As I already alluded to, there's that time where you take your child into your lap in the chair or on the couch and you read a book to them. Set aside, parents, a designated time to read to your children regularly, consistently. It doesn't have to be long, 15, 20 minutes a day. It's worth it. It takes a little effort to establish such a practice if you're not used to doing it. But it's worth it. Train your children to read. The RFPA is providing wonderful materials to help you in that. Use the books that the RFPA is publishing, the children's books. It can be hard to find good children's literature. Here's a good place to start. Read to your children. That's the first main thing I want to say in connection with how we train our children to read. Now two more, more briefly. Second, How do we train our children to read? We train our children to read by being disciplined readers ourselves. By being disciplined readers of spiritually edifying material ourselves. The simple reality is, it's hard to pass something on to our children that we don't do ourselves. If we are going to train our children in the discipline of reading and impart to them this spiritual discipline, this lifelong skill that is so spiritually profitable, we must be a practitioner of this skill ourselves. We ourselves must be disciplined readers. The reality is that we teach and train our children as much by our example as by the words we speak. Parents, your life is the textbook from which your children learn how to live. Part of the awesome calling of a covenant parent is to model, by the grace of God, the Christian life. And that includes modeling for them the disciplines of the Christian life that contribute to a healthy Christian life. And that means also modeling the discipline of the reading of good spiritual books. You must be a reader, Dad. You must be a reader, Mom. Read in front of them. Talk about what you've read. Let your children see you enjoy your reading Let them see that you consider this a very important part of your life. One of the best ways to promote reading is simply to be a reader yourself. So parents, read to your children. But read personally for yourself also. Now perhaps you don't consider yourself a reader. Aren't sure how to start. Well, this is where self-discipline comes in. Reading is a discipline, and discipline requires concerted effort. But again, it's worth it. If you're not a reader, start. Start small. Establish a regular routine of personal reading and, and stick to it. Disciplining yourself to be a reader is, in many ways, like athletic training. You don't just get up off the couch and run a 5K. Depending on your physical condition, you might not even get up off the couch and run a mile. You start small, and then you build up through consistent training and exercise. Same with reading. Set a goal for yourself, a realistic goal. Sometimes we never start something because it seems like too intimidating a thing to start, too daunting. Other times we 
try to do way more than we're capable of, and we are discouraged, and we stop, and we quit. Realistic. Set a goal. 15 minutes a day. One chapter in this RFPA book. In connection, perhaps, with my devotions in the morning or the evening. Set those attainable goals, and then stick to it. And as that discipline develops, you'll find it comes easier and easier. You find yourself enjoying it. And those giant theological volumes that you thought you'd never be able to read in your life suddenly become attainable. Bit by bit, you work your way through them. Discipline. It's a dying thing in our day. Our culture doesn't like discipline. It means doing things we don't like over and over and over again until we develop a habit. But it's a powerful means to effect a good change in our lives. Train your children to read. Read to them. Be a reader yourself. And if you're not a reader, discipline yourself to become a reader. Third and finally, how do we train our children to read? Foster a reading-friendly environment, atmosphere in your home. By a reading-friendly atmosphere, I mean a home environment that encourages reading and encourages an interest in reading among the members of the family. What's the climate of opinion in your home as to reading? What's the attitude, the prevailing attitude? What message does that send to your children? Maybe there's not much of an attitude Standard Bear is not opened much. The beacon lights isn't there. It sends the message, reading isn't that important. Or maybe the message that's sent is that reading is boring. It's a sleep aid at best, but not something that's that important. We help train our children to read by fostering a reading-friendly environment in our home. Reading is exciting. We speak about it positively. Our children see us do it. We're excited to read with them at night, even though it's been a long day at work and really we don't want to do it. A reading-friendly environment. One very concrete way to do this, and it won't work for every family, but it was something I encountered when I was staying with a family when I was doing pulpit supply in seminary in one of our western churches. And I found this practice very neat and effective. This family I stayed with spent one hour on Sunday afternoon. The whole family sat there in the living room, and everyone pulled out one of their books. Dad, Mom, and the several children of reading age, they're reading together. Reading became a family thing, something they did together. And then there were things to talk about that they found in the books that they were reading. It's a beautiful thing and an enriching thing. We can do that in our families. It doesn't take a ton of work. Once a week, an hour on one day, everyone get together, read a reading-friendly environment in the home that trains our children to see reading as important and as something they want to do in their life. We come to the final part of my speech tonight, and that, are, that is the challenges that we face in training our children to read. Numerous things could be brought up here, but I will limit myself to three Things that I see as some of the biggest challenges to reading in our day and age and in our families. The first is simple. It's busyness. We're busy, aren't we? We're a busy people. And if we have a covenant family with many children, we can be extremely busy. Especially when school is going. There's sports practice to get to. There's all of the other activities of life. There's work. Where in the world are we going to find the time sit down and read for ourselves and read to our children. We're too busy. Some of our busyness is our own choice, but the realities of modern life is a lot of it is unavoidable. So what do we do? What does the hardworking man do? who puts in long hours to provide for his family, pay the church budget, send the kids to the good Christian schools, comes home after a long day and is tired. Or the hard-working mother 
spends the day caring for the children, keeping the home, cooking the meals, carting the kids from school and back to catechism and back. Where's the spare time? Covenant student. Homework, sports practice, job on the side. Where do you fit in a good book? Those are hard questions, and they're real. But we must answer this challenge first by recognizing that though we are busy, the mere fact that we are busy does not give us a pass on those things in life which are most important. That's one of the dangers of busyness is we become so preoccupied with the things that fill our schedule that the most important things in life can easily fade away and be forgotten about or even neglected. We all know that's the case with family worship, how easily our busyness gets in the way of true, meaningful family worship. Same thing is true of our reading. How do we overcome this challenge? It starts with reasserting that commitment to what's important. Probably not going to just find time to read. So... We'll have to make the time, even when we're busy. We make time for the things that are truly important to us. What we make time for reveals our priorities. We must make the time for family worship, even if it creates some inconvenient scheduling difficulties. We make that time. We can find time to read. Our different schedules... They're different. We might read at a different time. Might not work every single day. We're not so inflexible as to recognize that. But we can make the time. Make it a priority to read to your children, to read to yourself. Short while, as many days as you can in a week. It's important. The things that are important, we can make the time for them. And when we do make the time for them, we find out how glad we are that we did. First obstacle or challenge, busyness. A second, and perhaps as serious if not more serious, challenge to reading and training our children to read is disinterest. Disinterest in ourselves as parents, disinterest as young people, or disinterest in the children that we're trying to teach. All of those are realities we might experience at times. Disinterest. It may be disinterest in the activity of reading itself. We've probably heard this disinterest expressed in various ways. I know reading is good, but it's just not my thing. I'm just not wired to be a reader. It makes me sleepy. I'd rather do other things. I can't get through a whole book anyways. But really these things are they're excuses we use sometimes not to read as we should. I'm just wired this way. I can't change. We can better translate it I don't really want to read, and I don't want to work at changing. Now, something must, of course, be said about the difference in personalities and gifts that God gives to different people. It's a reality. Some of us find reading harder than others, and we don't minimize that. Some children struggle to read, and we take that into account, and we must. But the point is, We mustn't use those extra difficulties as excuses. We may not be an avid reader, but we can, we should be a reader. So how do we overcome this disinterest in the activity of reading? A couple of things. First place, let the necessity of reading be impressed upon us. It's not just a take-it-or-leave-it suggestion. When we understand the prominence of the Word of God in our Reformed heritage, and we understand the importance of reading that Word of God, understanding that Word of God, hearing that Word of God preached, and also availing of ourselves of the good literature that God providentially makes available to us, when we understand that, 
we see the importance of reading. We won't let ourselves be governed by our feelings. I need, I need to do this. We need to be growing in knowledge and wisdom through reading. So we let that be impressed upon us. And we let that then be the motivation of discipline. Back to the topic of discipline. The world wants to tell us you're just hardwired that way. You can't change. Whether it be your sexual orientation, whether it be your likes and dislikes in the area of art or whatever it may be, whether you're a reader or not, or not, you're wired that way, you can't change. That's not what the Word of God says. The Word of God is the power by which God changes us. And the Christian life is a life of change by the power of grace in us. What is the daily calling of the Christian? Conversion, putting off and putting on. Christian life involves discipline. We're not hardwired. We can be rewired. And discipline is a tool that we have to rewire ourselves and form new good habits. If you're not wired as a reader right now, you can rewire yourself through working at it. More and more you'll learn to enjoy it, even though you didn't before. Overcome disinterest by impressing upon us the importance of reading and putting in the concerted effort to be disciplined in reading. Final challenge I call your attention to tonight. We're busy. We might at times struggle with disinterest. But perhaps one of the greatest challenges to reading in our day is digital technology and the distraction of all of the digital devices that never stop beeping, vibrating, calling for our attention. This is a reality of the world we live in, and it's not going to change. It's going to get worse, if anything. As technology develops at such a rapid rate, we are surrounded, we are inundated with technology and digital devices. These things have an effect on us. They have an effect on our way of living. They have an effect on our home life. They have an effect on our spiritual life. And this is a massive topic that we can only touch upon, barely scratch the surface tonight. My focus is simply to show how this is a real challenge to training our children to read. Digital devices and the time that we spend on them are taking over our lives sometimes. It's easy not to notice it. How normal is it and socially acceptable now for everyone with their smartphone to carry it with them everywhere and to look at it all the time, even in the middle of a conversation with someone? It's becoming sometimes a subconscious impulse when there's a lull in conversation or a private moment to pull the phone out and check something, start scrolling. It's more and more normal to spend large amounts of time on these devices, not just in front of the television or video games, but surfing the internet, social media, and all of the rest. The point is we need to be aware of these forces at work in our lives, these pressures on our children as they grow up in this technological world surrounded by these devices and the use of these devices. We need to be very conscientious about how we use these devices. They're not bad in themselves. They can be put to good use. Indeed, we have to put them to good use often in our callings and in our work. But we must be conscientious about how we use them and how we train our children to use them and understand the dangers, the effects they can have. In the home, 
There's the danger of more and more time being spent by our children in front of screens instead of in books or other profitable activities. We all recognize that. And there's a real allure to it. Dad and mom are tired out. We know how this goes. Kids are being noisy. They're bothersome. We need a break, so just put them in front of the screen. That'll keep them occupied. We all know what happens when that screen is put in front. The iPad, whatever it may be, they're sucked in immediately. Mesmerized by the constantly shifting images and animations on that screen. Even even the really, really little children, the infants, sucked in. Very easily. We need to beware. Very easily. This can become a recourse that we go to. As parents, you need to occupy the kids. You need to burn some time. Put them in front of the screen. We need to beware of the danger of that. Not that we can never watch anything on a screen. Not that screens are intrinsically evil. It's about being conscientious about how we use them and the effects that overuse can have. The evidence is substantial and alarming. The evidence of the negative, detrimental effects of overuse of digital devices. Numerous books have been written documenting the mind-altering effects of heavy usage of these devices. And that should be alarming to us when we understand that the brain of a child is especially malleable. The brain develops at an extraordinary rate and pace in those early years of childhood. That raises questions about what overuse of digital technology by our children may do to them. Digital technology is proven when it's heavily used to have negative effects. The very medium itself, the way it conveys information, rapid fire, constantly shifting, it has an impact on the way we think. It encourages quickly scanning. You surf on the web, that's what you do. You quickly scan so often. It discourages the kind of deep meditative reading that is the spiritual discipline that we want to train our children in. So much of digital technology encourages shallow, scattered thinking instead of that deep, focused, critical thinking, dissecting and understanding concepts. It's so important for hearing a doctrinal sermon from the pulpit. Digital technology with its rapid-fire information distribution, its constantly shifting images and all the rest, has an effect on our attention span. Do we not see how, by and large, people nowadays really have a hard time concentrating? There's many causes for this, but this is one. We want to be aware of these things and the impact they can have on our children. To connect it to the theme of this speech, be concerned about how these devices may hinder our children from accessing deeply this word of God. Our digital distractions are distancing us from the word and can detract and diminish the skills necessary to deeply engage in a focused, active, sustained study and reading of this word. And because this word is above all things important, we want to do everything as parents to protect our children from anything that will hinder them from a lifelong study of this word. And we want to impart to them everything we can that will enhance their abilities to read this word. So we must face that challenge of digital technology and its distractions. Just overcome this challenge. So much could be said here that we don't have time for. 
The solution, of course, is not getting rid of every single device and fleeing from technology. We'd have to leave the world to do that. That's not our calling. But our calling is responsible, careful use of this technology. Thoughtful use. Teach our children about the dangers of this technology as they grow, grow older and start using it themselves. Regulate it in the home. Establish proper boundaries. We don't need to be on our devices 24-7. But above all, counteract the anti-reading trend in our day by reading all the more. The technology of our day is rewiring our minds. Fight it by reading and reading deeply. Teaching our children to read. Having them read. Reading with them. Reading to them. Read. Read good books. Read the Bible. We're people of the Word. The Word written. The Word preached. And we will be people of the Word until the Lord comes again. This is the means He has given us till He comes again. Let's be a people of the book. Let's train our children to be a people of the book. And do so in confident reliance on God. There's no challenge that we face that is too much for him. And we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And when we are rooted and fixed upon that word, we too shall stand by the grace of God. Let us love the word of God. Let us read it. Train our children to read. I thank you for your attention this evening.